everybody out there. Happy first week of August to you. That was like my John Wayne. <laughs> Impressive. Very good. Get the passing grade. Uh, yeah. Got a lot to talk about tonight, including the uh, July. I just said happy August, but now I'm going back to July. Uh, <laughs> July Blu-rays. We're going to talk about those later, but... Mm-hmm. Got some other things to talk about first. And Adam, you brought up something before we started taping. That's a yeah. big story of the news this week. Tell, tell me your thoughts on this <laughs> particular topic. Well, I had an experience with it. We're talking about Movie Pass, and it looks like the disintegration of Movie Pass right before our eyes is what I'm seeing anyway. Um, I, I had an experience with it this afternoon. Went to go see Three Identical Strangers, which is uh, incidentally very, very good. And uh, as I'm going in, you wouldn't think 1.45 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon would be high traffic or high demand, but yet there's a, they're slapping a surcharge of $6 onto my already $10 a month membership, which the original agreement, of course, we all know is see a movie a day, $10 a month. Okay, mm-hmm. so now they're slapping these surcharges on, and they seem to randomly change from day to day. Like uh, earlier last week, I think it was $4 for a particular movie I was thinking about going to see. Uh, sorry to bother you, it was the one I was going to. And it was $4. Now it's $6. I heard somebody saying they had an $8 surcharge uh, to go see Sorry to Bother You at a different theater. And then on top of all this, we they, they it went down for a day and a half. I think Thursday and most of Friday, and then the news reports I was getting was that they literally ran out of money. They could not keep the the infrastructure going, and they had to borrow $5 million in order to just keep it going. So uh, at this point, it's like a glorified set of coupons you're getting for $10 a month is what I'm seeing, if you're going to have to pay a, a surcharge. Mm. And uh, there's a lot of theories about what's going on. Is it because they're trying to push the movies that they are financing, because they're in the movie business now. They co-financed American Animals, and I think they may have their hands in some other pies. I'm not sure. But I, from what I understand, uh, or from what some of these series are, it's like, well, they're trying to steer traffic towards those other movies, and then some people are saying, well, they're just trying to get people... Uh, used to $10 a month for as many movies as you want to see, and then they're going to get hit with that sticker shock. Once the, the once Movie Pass goes away, they'll get hit, hit with sticker shock, and they can do a streaming site, and people will flock to that because they there's all kinds of theories being bandied about. But I, I think it's simply a matter of infrastructure that I mean a, a a business model rather that would not and could not be sustainable over the long haul, and that right. was the prediction Un- that a lot it's of yeah, mm-hmm. it is, and and yeah. we kind of knew that, but we were like, hey, what the hell? We're gonna enjoy this while while yeah. the ride, you know, we're gonna ride it while we can, and we. So did. the ride's almost over. I believe it is. I okay. really believe it is. Uh, so that's my. I think so, story. And, their, and their whole their whole power, their whole business model was: look, we have we have three million active subscribers, so that's uh, three million places where we can uh, sell, you know. Advertising yeah. and you know the different different things you do with mm. client lists and stuff nowadays, but uh, you know when the studios are against you and the most of the theater chains are against you, I mean, and your business is dealing in those things, you're you're not in good shape. But uh, what it what it has shown is that um, it has shown to the theater chains that they need to start and and they've started offering you know comparable 
deals mm-hmm. uh, on their own. So, I mean, AMC has their stubs thing and, I don't know, three movies a week or three movies a month or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it has shown that there is a, there is a hunger for this out there. And that if, if Shepard did uh, well, could, um, could, could help, I think. But, yeah. uh, but only the smaller, maybe only the smaller films. I don't know. I, and and the, the surcharge, you know, I didn't mind paying $4 for Equalizer 2 on opening weekend. Sure. Uh, at, ni- at night, because it was still 7 or $8 cheaper mm-hmm. than I would have paid normally. That's if I use it multiple times, at, multiple times that month, it's still worth it. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, when you get up to $8 and $6 during the day, uh, yeah, that's a little crazy. Yeah, I can't, I can't do it, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to hold on to it for a little while because uh, I need to go check out 8th grade. I haven't done that yet, and I plan on taking care of that early this coming week, and uh, we'll just see what my experience is on a weekday night. And if it gets any worse, I mean, I'm, I'm opting out. I can't. This is just, it's getting crazy. I wonder if they have a sliding scale for certain movies. Like, they they might have, like, higher prices for bigger bigger movies and lower, lower, uh, lower well, for I don't know. smaller I, films. I mean, I just, I just said I paid four bucks for Equalizer 2, and, and he paid six dollars for three identical strangers. Yeah, which is uh, great. I mean, yeah, that is weird. I don't know. Yeah, and then Maybe I had a great way around. Yeah, one of my colleagues paid eight bucks last night for Sorry to Bother You, which is even crazier, I think. So. And he was extremely bothered, wasn't he? <laughs> he was. <laughs> he really was. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a very interesting um, development in what's going on with them. And I think you know this, this. Actually, it's lasted longer than I thought it would. To tell you the truth, I, I didn't think it would go. It's been almost a year. I've had mine, and I, I and about a year since they lowered the price to nine ninety five. Because what was it, fifty bucks? I think a month. Uh, is what it, they yeah. started out with. It's like fifty bucks, and then suddenly they just slashed it down to ten bucks a month. And and um, but yeah, it's, it's that is pretty be... amazing. I mean, it, you've you've if if the trend holds, we've seen the meteoric rise and fall of a company in the course of a year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shockingly yeah. fast. How that happened? Well, it was. It was a really terrific deal because we have a chain of theaters in our area, the Regal Cinemas. They're based out of Tennessee, and they they have a stronghold here. And they have a you know a Regal member card. It doesn't cost you anything. It's free, and you sign up for it, and you get points every time you. Get. So anyway, every time I use the Movie Pass to get a, a movie ticket, I get points on the Regal card. So I would literally have movie tickets sitting there waiting to be redeemed on the Regal card that I wasn't getting to because I was going. So it's a really yeah. good deal, you know. What is but, the what uh, is the best theater chain? Like the mainstream theater chains, like the Regals, the AMC's, and the Cinemarks. Uh, what would you say is is the, is the best a, a, across the board? Presentation and uh, facilities and that whole thing. I actually like AMC. The ones we. The ones we have in our area, anyway, they could be there could be some some worse scenarios for other people who are listening. But in our area, we have three really solid AMCs that uh, 
the presentation is always impeccable. I, I, this reserve seating thing is a little bit of an irritation because it, it yes. causes extra lines, and I, really, I don't care. I, I don't need the reserve seating. It's something that's it's not for me. I could care less. But and it cuts down on the amount of seats in the auditorium, so tickets sell out really fast on certain things. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I had that problem earlier this year when I saw Phantom Thread. It was I, I barely got in there, and when I did get in, it was on the very front row, and my neck was craning upward to, you know, so that kind of deal. But yeah, well, and, but and I, a lot of times it doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. A lot of times, I mean, I would just go see my friend Dahmer with reserved seating. I walked in there, there were like six people in a 300 seat house. <laughs> you got to impose it here. I know, really. But I went to see Whitney a couple of weeks ago at an AMC theater, and no reserved seating, just a regular auditorium, and a really big auditorium with nice seats, and the projection was impeccable, and the sound was great. And for and for a movie that like that, that's you know has musical segments or whatever, you you want the the sound to be really. Impressive, and it was. I, I couldn't have been happier. This is really. I, I'm. I'm very impressed. So I. I generally like AMC. Um, AMC was an innovator. I, I mean, AMC kind of. They came up with the idea of the multiplex. They came up with the yeah. idea of coupled or armrests. They. They did, uh, and they had their stubs. Uh, it wasn't called stubs. It was called Movie Watcher back in the day. But their yeah. rewards program before anybody else came out with one, and it was. Uh, I mean, he, the uh, the founder of that, I think his name is Stan Durwood. He was his uh, real innovator in theatrical exhibition, but uh, and he would never have sold the company. But sure enough, uh, not soon after he died, they sold it uh, mm. to the Wanda Group or some some place up China. But uh, yeah, I remember walking into a Cineplex Odeon once, and I'm sure I've been to some more often, like years ago, when they were a thing, and. Uh, the place was, uh, I mean, it's probably the best presentation I've ever seen outside of the Cinerama Dome in uh, L.A. Um, but I, the reason why I ask is because I have been so uh, uh, disappointed by the um, presentations in theaters lately. And when, when, even when I went to see Mission Impossible 6, uh, I was like, is this dark? I mean, is this... Did they not have that lamp on correctly? Mm-hmm. And you'd you think that a big movie like that and a first glimpse that the audience in the area and critics in the area have to see the movie, it just seems dark, and, and the masking wasn't set right. Ooh. So uh, it just... Uh, why don't... It's even less work now, isn't it? When you're uploading yeah. it, sh- shouldn't you at least be able to frame it right and, and light it right? Because you've got less to do. As a projectionist, I wonder if some of the lighting problems. Things. I wonder if some of the lighting problems come from switching back and forth between 3D and regular presentations, because you know the 3D is darker, uh, less light on the screen. So uh, I think they forget. Well, to they've done they've done that for, they've done that forever too. I mean, that's a way to cut costs in theaters too, to 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 lower the wattage of the light output. So mm-hmm. the, the light, which costs a lot of money, uh, That's the projector, right. la- projector lamp has a longer life if you set yeah. it at a lower level. It looks like yeah. shit. I mean, that's, <laughs> it does. Yeah. And we used to have union projectionists. Back in the old days when we worked the film, 
and we used to have the threat. I, I can't do my old man voice. But uh, when we used to walk barefoot in the snow to get to school every day, and they used to thread <laughs> thread actual celluloid through the projector through a complex series of wheels and spokes, uh, yep. we used to have union projectionists that would come in and work on the projectors and make sure and everybody they would was up stay to up there. Yeah. They, yeah. they were contracted employees. So mm. I, I, I don't know if that's a thing now with the digital projectors. <laughs> no. I don't think so either. And we didn't have uh, union projectionists where I lived, so I actually was a projectionist. I did it myself for a number of years. Sure. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I got pretty adept at Well, I did it too, together. but we still had yeah. – AMC still had a union guy that would come wow. in once a month and make sure we were okay you know, with our equipment. Oh, wow. We, I don't think we had that from what I recall, but maybe we did, and, and I just man, wasn't aware of it. We had we had this. I mean, we had like many. We had this one thing, <laughs> this one projector. It was really the platters uh, that every movie that played on it would would tangle up and break and fall on the floor. And it was just it was like that particular platter was was haunted or something. <laughs> and, uh, so so to freak out our boss one day, this was when I first started. We would we would take all the trailers. Which we dozens and dozens dozens of trailers, and we spliced them all together yeah. to do this elaborate prank. And so it looked like a whole like two-hour movie, the width of this film on the platter. And first thing in the morning, we'd like take it and we walk across the lobby with it, and we drop it, and we just make it a mess of like tangled celluloid. And our boss came in, and he was like, "What the?" <laughs> not knowing that it was just not knowing it was just trailers about one of the movies. Uh, uh, I have problems with all of them, really. I mean, uh, uh, they all have, they all have their pluses and minuses. I, I guess I, I guess I, even though the landmark near me, uh, has a, has problems with sound bleed over, uh, real big problems, I think. Uh, I just go with landmark, I mean, I go with them because they're, because of their film selection. Mainly, uh, yeah, less because of their presentation quality, which I I I'm I'm a big complainer about all of that stuff. So, you know, but the, my worst problem is just people on their phones in the in the movie theater. I just find that so distracting uh, and rude. Yeah. When, uh, today uh, I went to go see. Um, uh, don't worry, he won't get far on foot, uh, which I thought was excellent. Uh, not as great as I was hoping it would be, but uh, 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 and I was seriously thinking of going up and starting a fight with with a guy because he would not get off his phone. He would it was constant, yeah. and I went yeah. over and said something to him. Once and he didn't did not stick to it. I don't know. It was, it was really it was bad, but it, it it gets me so angry. That's my least favorite thing going to the movies these days. Seeing seeing the extra screens in the audience. Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that either. And when I was at Whitney a couple of weeks ago, just like Adam. Uh, um, uh, it was like an hour and 45 minutes into the movie. So the movie had got like 15, 20 minutes left. 
and this family walks in and like sits right behind me, and they start fucking talking. Meanwhile, I've been watching this movie for an hour and forty five minutes, and I'm like, "What the hell are you people doing in here?" And um, of course, I didn't say you people because I would have been kicked out of a movie like me if I said <laughs> you people. <laughs> it's true. And then what? And then I love how condescending the projectionists are now because I mean they know their they know their stuff and nobody else could know it. But I had a problem with the with uh, like a Superman screening, uh, and I walked out and I was like, "Can I talk to the projectionist?" And the the projectionist, your aperture plate isn't pushed in all the way. You could see it, see it on the screen. And he's like, "No, that's not what that is." I saw. All right, well, it, it it's fucked up. So why don't you find out what it is? I just told you, but find out on your own and fix it. And he was just so incredibly condescending. But it doesn't take anything to, to to frame a movie and make sure the aperture plate is in place and you're focused and all that shit. It's like a child should be able to do it. Yeah. Or to tell that it's wrong, you know, just by looking at it. Oh, don't get me started. Oh, yeah. Right there with you. Yeah. Uh, 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 and we get them at press screenings for crying out loud. We get people picking up the phones after they've gave their they give their speech, you know, and and they even take the phones a lot of times. People coming in, but people sneak them in, and you know, right? We were at the Jurassic World screening a couple of weeks ago, and some guy picks his phone up and doesn't even try to conceal it. Yeah. He just holds it up above his head, and it's disturbing everybody. And just like it's almost like he's defying people to go report him. And uh, of course, the guards. Do you have those guys? Put, that, do you have those guys that come out front before the movie, though? Yes. And, and they, 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 they uh, the feel. FBI and the uh, mm-hmm. there's a yes. fifty thousand dollar fine and blah blah right. blah. They yep. up. We they, get that. I'd never go in with. I just leave my cell phone in the car, and even when Me I go with my too. best friend, he, he always makes sure his watch is turned off because he's got one of those Apple things. Uh, yeah. You know, it's common sense. Well, I don't. It, I don't it, carry a phone in at all. No, you shouldn't. And if you can't be away from your phone for two hours, if you're that attached to your toys and you can't be away from it for two hours, you don't need to be freaking going to a movie. Don't go to a movie. Just don't go. It's very simple. You know, it's not rocket science, people. There's a lot of choices just staying at home. Hey, rant over. uh, We'll talk about a uh, There's a couple of movies that Dean wanted to talk about, but let's talk about the big one first, which is Mission Impossible 6. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll just say that... uh, uh, I like this franchise a lot, uh, and I, I think they've done great things in this franchise. And I think the ending of this movie lives up to the the reputation that this franchise has made for itself. Uh, the Absolutely. ending is spectacular, but I don't think it's the best action movie in years. Like these people have been saying, like every critic, I don't think it's the best of the series. I think it's I think it's good, and I think the ending wows you. But to be honest, and I hate to say this because I know how hard they work, you know. To be honest, some of that stuff would have looked just the same if they did it green screen. But I, I, I know that the perception, knowing that he did it for real, does make it does make a difference in the audience. I mean, it feels like I don't know, maybe more at stake. And but like the halo jump, I think. I mean, there was enough special effects in that scene to begin with, with the lightning storm and the clouds and everything else that I think they could have done that on green screen and it would have been just as effective. But it's knowing that he really did that that adds mm-hmm. to the scene, I guess. But the stuff of him hanging off the side of a helicopter, I mean, that shit's real. I mean, you could tell that's real. 
that uh, it, it wouldn't have looked as good if it were faked. Um, but uh, and and I don't. Henry Cavill is like a like a, I don't know. Uh, he's a blo- <laughs> he's a dead blob to me. He's, like he's a, a big nothing. Isn't he There's always... nothing there. Uh, and and the, the the thing that they did with Rebecca Ferguson's character, didn't they play that same game the last movie with Rebecca Ferguson's character? They didn't really uh, yeah. find anything different to do with that character yeah. until the end. Um, and 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 I didn't I didn't the movie was not clear enough uh, to make me care about the progression of the plot. Like there yeah. there was there was an inelegance to how the whole thing was set up. Um, Agreed. So that I, was, I wasn't as invested in it as I was the last one. I thought the last one that Macquarie did was very elegantly done. The thing I love about the last one was it felt old Hollywood. It felt like you're watching a, at one moment like a Grace Kelly Hitchcock movie and then in the next scene like a really cool 60s Bond flick. It had a great sense of style and flair to it. Uh, that this this one's missing, I think. All right, uh, mm. um, enough of that. You, you yeah, go, I, you're you're right. You're right on the money. I I totally agree. And um, it's uh, the problem with these stunts and what you're talking about, crews doing this. Uh, you know, it was it was interesting for a while, but I, I think it's getting to the point where it's gimmicky for me, and it's actually taking me out of the movie. Yeah, it's it getting does. to the point where it, where it takes me out of the element of the the suspension of disbelief. Yeah. you know, because you're, you're thinking. It's it's I guess the best analogy I can come up with is it's like a glorified version of his couch jumping incident on a much grander scale. That's about the best way I can think of it. It's, it's like look at me, look at look what I can do. I'm pushing sixty, but I can still do this. Yada yada yada, and it just it, it becomes gimmicky for me, and it takes me way out of the movie. And like you said, the plot is is um, really like you said, inelegant is a great way to describe it because. It's, it's true, kind of sloppy, uh, but that final 30 minutes does make it worth it. It's way too long, two hours, 27 minutes. There's no reason why this movie should be that long. Uh, but, you know, you could see a lot worse movies for sure, but, but yeah, it's it's not nearly in the classes as four or five. I totally agree, and and uh, it's, it's, it's good but not great, and I don't get all this over-praising it. And people just seem to be glossing over the, the flaws for some reason. I don't know, but anyway. I, don't, I personally don't care for the series. I don't like the original TV series it's based on. I find the original TV series to be confusing most of the time. And uh, I, I'm, if the movies are confusing too, then that makes them perfect. Perfect holders of that name. Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah, this is the only one I found. The only one I found confusing. Even the first one, I understood the broad strokes. This, yeah, me this too. one, it's it, it, it's just so. And, and if you think too about the pedestrian nature of the opening, that's why the. I mean, it's a fine movie, but for people to say it's the best action movie in years, you know, the last one opened with the with the uh, with the jail breakout followed by the blowing up of the Kremlin. Yeah. And then uh, you know, and this one opens with like a gunfight in a subway tunnel or something, and it feels it feels very like everything every other action movie you see, mm-hmm. kind of the pedestrian. So it didn't feel in the spirit of the series or, or the the film. And when I'm talking about the franchise, I mean the franchise kind of stands on its own from the 
TV series. I, I, I don't think most people associate the TV series with the franchise now. And, most people and, haven't and seen gonna, the TV series. Yeah, and, and they were going to set that tone at the very beginning of the first one, because if you remember, they wanted his team to be all the surviving cast members of the TV show, and they wanted to kill them off mm-hmm. in the opening of the first one. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Nobody cares about those guys, those old pe- old people. <laughs> All right, Dean. So, so what, what what movie did you want to talk about? Well, I wanted to point out uh, just for for convenience' sake uh, to people that uh, two of the best movies of the year, uh, Blind Spotting and uh, Eighth Grade, especially Eighth Grade, are both out in theaters now. So go and see those. Uh, we reviewed them a long time ago, but uh, they're terrific movies, two of the best of the year. Uh, I saw Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot today, Gus Van Sant's new movie with uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Jonah Hill, Rooney Mara. Uh, uh, it wasn't as great as I was hoping it would be, uh, because I've been a John Callahan fan for a really long time. Uh, he is most famous for doing doing cartoons for uh, one-panel cartoons for uh, places like The New Yorker and National Lampoon and so forth. Uh, Of course, he was not a cartoonist uh, uh, early on. He was was basically a drunk who uh, one night gets into a car with another drunk, played by... uh, played by... um, uh, Jonah Hill in this no not Jonah Hill uh, Jack Black in this movie and then uh uh the the car uh Jack Black goes to sleep while driving the car he's drunk and uh wrecks the car John Callahan uh is paralyzed from the neck down uh he's got a little bit of use of his arms uh but um uh so the whole the movie is not just about his uh his uh cartooning career uh it's really about his recovery uh both physically and uh his recovery from alcoholism uh lots of aa scenes uh Jonah Hill plays his, his aa sponsor uh uh who's a, a, a gay man uh, uh, and he's very good at it. Rooney Mara, uh, who's also, I guess, uh, he and Rooney Mara, uh, Phoenix and Rooney Mara are uh, an item. So they're in this movie together, and they're in uh, Mary Magdalene together, where he plays Jesus Christ, and she plays Mary Magdalene. Uh, and uh, she's she's fine in it. And... Uh, Got a really good supporting cast. It takes a little while to get going, uh, but it really hits its stride about the middle of it, and uh, is very, very powerful. Uh, ultimately, uh, chiefly because of Joaquin Phoenix, who I still think is the best actor working today, and uh, it's it's a good movie. Not not a great movie like I was hoping, but a very good one. Uh, and uh, 
I highly recommend it, and I recommend you also checking out John Callahan's uh, cartooning work, which, if you don't know it, you will find it very fascinating seeing it portrayed in the movie, and you'll want to see more of it. Um, so check it out. It's good. I was and wondering about that one. Yeah, it's good. It's worth checking out. And, uh, yeah, I've been watching movies all week, of course, uh, in the wake of, of the game show, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which was which was fun and nerve-wracking. Kept mm-hmm. me up a couple of nights. <laughs> it's a tight, tight game, man. That was a yeah, tight game. It Did you was. know that game came down? That game came down to one word. Really? And that and that word was supporting. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Right. So that was that was a really exciting uh, tight game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it was good. It was a good finale. Yeah. Well, my it's assignment a, yeah. my assignment is to write some questions for the next show, and uh, and the next for finale, the next yeah. finale. And right. uh and and to to host it. Uh so right. uh so I've been working on I've got three hundred uh questions written already. So All right. Uh yeah. So we'll see. Well okay, good. Cut that cut that down to thirty eight, we'll be in business. Okay. <laughs> All right, but I no, can't like, let you no, see them. No, <laughs> no best no best boy questions. Like they have to be reasonable. No, they're all reasonable. Yeah. They're all okay. reasonable. Yeah. All right. <laughs> like who was the assistant? Who was the assistant fluffer on Deep Throat? You know, I don't, uh, <laughs> no. I, not the fluffer, but the assistant fluffer. I mean, that's beyond <laughs> my grade. All right, Adam. So we got July Blu-rays yep. to talk about, uh, 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 on a percentage scale, like sixty percent, seventy percent. How many of these movies are, are worth a shit? <laughs> if we cut well, it down to just the ones that are worth the shit, will this be like a five minute show? <laughs> uh, it's probably fifty fifty. There there's uh there's at least one title that I was really salivating for for a long time that I was really glad to see make it to disc and we can get into that later. I will uh give a, a, a hint that it's a Twilight Time title, so one of those was one of wow. Probably one of my favorites of the early seventies, and so that was they that, come, that out, they come out with interesting stuff. They what yes. they they announced their they announced their newest releases today. I got an email. I did. And they have the uh, Cassavetti's Gloria. Yeah. Getting the Blu-ray treatment. And, That's uh, not a great. Uh, are they? Are <laughs> they? Yeah, movie. but it's 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 a it's a great curia though. I mean, yeah. I I I liked revisiting that a couple of years ago. Because it's Cassavetti's doing a studio movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, oh, what's that look like? <laughs> yeah. She's the reason to watch it. Gina Rollins is yeah, the reason I, to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what I wonder where that kid is now, if he's still living or if what's he what he's up to. That's a good yeah, question. All right, that's silence. A good question. That's a good uh, question. okay. So Adam where where let's start. Okay, sure. We'll uh go back to July third, I believe it was. And uh, we'll do Criterion release, Dietrich and von Sternberg in Hollywood. That's a box set from Criterion covering the years 1930 to 1935. And it's six movies and total running time of 542 minutes. <laughs> what are the movies? 
Uh, six discs. Uh, the movies that's included are Morocco, Dishonored, Shanghai Express, Blonde Venus, The Scarlet Empress, and uh, The Devil is a Woman. So that's a good box. Yeah, it's in you know all remastered, nice nice Blu-ray transfers there. So yeah, nice nice way to start the month from. I especially from, relate to The Devil is a Woman. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, touche. So anyway, well, uh, for the umpteenth time, and this is the first time for this label, but the last house on the left is getting yet another issue, this time from Arrow, which is the first time Arrow has released it, and I guess this is the definitive issue of the last house on the left. It's three discs that they're and wow. three different cuts of the film, and the word on it is that it's really, the video and audio are stunning, didn't get a review copy of this one, but uh, there's, uh, I, I have the old I'm one, the sorry. MGM. So. I'm sorry. If, it's, <laughs> if, the, if the audio and video of Last House of the Left are studying, <laughs> they did something wrong. I mean, normally, <laughs> well, I, yeah, you want, it, you want it to be dirty. You want it to yeah, be, that, that, it'd be that better with the, that cat More than any it. other movie ever made, that movie makes me feel like bathing afterwards. Like, that movie just feels <laughs> sickeningly dirty. Mm, I won't watch it. Yeah, well, the 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 notes that I that that come with it say that uh, it's an extensive an extensive international search for materials was undertaken to ensure the best existing materials were sourced for this restoration. As the original 16 millimeter AB negative for Last House has been lost, the objective was to locate the first generation 35 millimeter intermediate elements struck from the 16 millimeter negatives. So that's essentially where they went with this. Okay. And uh, they probably probably anyway. had the film in in seventy two. They probably developed the movie at like Ecker Drugs. They probably <laughs> developed the film there. <laughs> to save some probably cash. right. Yeah. Probably right. But uh, we found it at an, an old at the attic of a of a now CVS. We found the prestige. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> It's uh I didn't know there yeah. were multiple cuts of the movie though. Like it, was there an international cut? Or Probably something? a European mm. cut. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure about the differing cuts. I know there's been so many over the years that have been rumored, you know, there's all these rumors about this cut, that cut, who knows, uh, you know, parts of it were chopped up in the early 70s, you know, some of the more gruesome aspects were lopped out and then they restored them for video on VHS and you know, there's just a lot of it has a, a very complicated past, mm. but uh, but I, I well, guess I they found. Say, do, do you do you like last? Well, not one of those movies that you like. Like if you <laughs> like last, <laughs> oh, no. left, you're you're suspect. But I will say I do find, uh, in spite of the stupid ass Keystone Cops parts in it that uh, run throughout it. Yes, all of that. All of that. Uh, stuff in the woods, all that stuff is highly disturbing. It it is yes. very, very effective. And then oh, yeah. you get to the then you get to the conclusion, which is really the gimmick of the piece. And I mean it's just silly. Uh, it gets really silly. But it feels it feels just completely uh palpable, the fear in in that that midsection. Mhm. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, you know, like I said, if you're, if, I guess this is the definitive release. If if you must have it, 
But I, I've got the old MGM issue from years ago, and I'll just stick with that. I don't think I need to, <laughs> I don't need to pony up for another one. But it's there, as is another Arrow release, the Cat of Nine Tails, one of the uh, Dario Argento films. I think what was the second film, I believe, the the one where this is the one where Carl Malden gets to play uh, a blind crossword puzzle guy, which is kind of weird. <laughs> it's solves crossword puzzles, but he's blind or something. And uh, anyway, they they have to solve a murder, and it's James Franciscus, and I think it has any Ennio Morcone score, but I kind of remember it enjoying it somewhat, actually more so than some of his later things, like Suspiria. I actually enjoyed this one a little more, I think. But, um, you know, it's it's Argento, and you know it's style over substance, so what else can be said? But, uh, you know, it's it's another one of their uh, extensive remasterings that Arrow's doing with some of these. So, but it's all it's all on one disc. And anyway, there's a Kino release here we might want to talk about. The debut film for Michael Mann, The Jericho Mile, from 1979. Oh, the TV movie. Yeah, which this is a very cinematic looking film. I don't know what you, I mean. My opinion on it is that it could have easily been issued as a theatrical film, and I'm kind of, it kind of makes me wonder why it wasn't because they're. There are stretches of it where it really looks cinematic, um, you know, more more so than, than most television films of the day. It won a ton of yeah. Emmys. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you can see that Michael Mann had potential and that he was definitely going to be some uh, a filmmaker that we're going to be talking about just watching this debut mm. film. And, of course, two years it's later. So odd. It's so odd that, I mean, he made, he made much of TV cinematic. Mm-hmm. And he brought he brought a lot of a lot of tropes from the cinema to his television projects, so it's so odd that the one that seems uh, least effective is uh, L.A. Takedown. Oh yeah, and I and I don't think it's because we can compare it to Heat. I mean, I don't think the movie's good even without that comparison, mm-hmm. uh, even if Heat didn't exist. Yeah, agreed. Totally agreed. Yeah, it's just not, it's just the heat's such a uh, much better film, of course. So, yeah. yeah. But Kino has also speaking of Kino, they've also issued a 1980 film that's talked about in some circles called Personal Problems. I wasn't actually familiar with it. It's like a two hour and fifty minute uh, movie about a working class African American couple in New York at the beginning of the 80s. And I think it was shot on video, transferred to film, but uh, it's 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 one that supposedly had a there were a lot of people clamoring for its release. Who's in it? Um, not really familiar. It's directed by Bill Gunn, so we know him of course. Okay. Uh, but uh, the the cast is Verda May, Grossvener, Walter Cotton, Sam Wayman. I'm not really familiar with these actors, but um, anyway. That's uh, and it, Bill Gunn was—he's the Ganja and Hess guy, right? I believe uh, directed that one. Uh, I've never—I've never seen it. So yeah, he was an actor, right? Yeah, and then he's turned director. Yeah, so he's done several things. Not uh, can't remember what all he's done, but anyway, um, 
So it's out there, personal problems. And um, how about this is a newer release, but I heard really good things about this. I was wondering if either of you guys saw it, and I'm very curious about it. It's the directorial debut for Whitney Cummings called The Female Brain, which came out back in February. And uh, Sofia Vergara and Whitney Cummings in the cast, of course, uh, but uh, generally well reviewed. And I've, I have it, actually, and I haven't gotten around to looking at it, but I, I just everybody's saying it's pretty good for a directorial debut. So Okay. Just, so we'll go back 21 years for this one. Remember when they had the, the dueling Steve Prefontaine films? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two uh-huh. in one year. Well, one of them got issued by Kino. They've got that deal with Touchstone Pictures, of course, so they issued Prefontaine. That's the one, uh, I believe Steve James directed that one. This is the, the Arlie Army Jared Leto version. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, Prefontaine, yeah, 97. Without li- Limits is the good one. Yeah, right. That's the uh, the Robert Town. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. You know what I saw? I went to an antique store the other day. You know what I saw the other day, Adam? I saw not laser discs, but the old video discs. I like remember the 20th Century Fox yeah. plastic ca- uh, cases. Yeah, I was yeah. like, "Who the hell? These? <laughs> like, who would buy these? I don't even. I don't know what machine played those. They were uh, they were called CED, I believe, and they were played with a. Uh, it actually played with a stylus, like a record. Really. Yeah. Yeah, they did. They did. They play. I had a player that uh, I got many years after the format had died. Somebody had a player, and they just gave it to me. They said, "We know you're into movies. Here, take this." And so I, I, I bought a couple of those discs online on eBay for practically nothing. And uh, one of them I had was "Don't Look Now." I remember this was before it was on DVD, so it was quality was better than the VHS, but not much. But I remember it had issues. You know, sometimes with the needle it would skip, and you would get these video right. issues, and it's kind, of, it's kind of odd. And they were double sided, like a record. Like you had to flip, like it would. I think you had to flip it over, from what I remember. Well, yeah, just mm-hmm. just like just like laser disc, yeah. Yeah. I so, uh, I used to love my laser disc, man. Oh, I did I too. To, I was I was so pissed off when DVD came around. I was like, <laughs> what too. am I going to do with all these laser discs? I was resentful. <laughs> <laughs> There was a golden so if you put, window. If you put one of those CEDs on a record player, could you hear the audio, the soundtrack? <laughs> I don't the, know about that. Dialogue and everything? Huh. I don't know. I don't even think there's a hole in the middle where you could put it on your uh, your adapter in the middle of your turntable. I don't oh. know if you could even get it on there. So, but yeah, yeah, they played with it. The, they did. They played with the stylus. It was, it was very weird. RCA put those out. Because they were competing with, uh, I think MCA had Disco Vision, which was the earliest incarnation of LaserDisc. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's what they called them, Disco Vision. It was like, it, I mean, it was an amazing thing. If you think about it, in 1978, you could actually buy sure. movies and bring them home. That's amazing uh, when you think about it. And so you yeah, have the it, disc. it got, us, got us where we are. And, you know. yeah, now nobody <clears throat> buys discs anymore. So <laughs> we've come full circle. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, right? Never thought that would happen. Who'd have thunk it? But yeah, so yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about with the CEDs. It's uh, yeah, but I had I had a large laser disc collection, like you're talking about. And what I did was there was a golden window there. It didn't last very long when some of those movies had not yet migrated to DVD. 
and the mm-hmm. laser discs were the highest quality that you could get, so you could put them up on eBay. I remember I had UHF on laser disc, and that had a huge cult following. I paid five bucks for it and sold it for like 125. I remember that. It was like right before it came out on DVD. Of course, when it came out on DVD, it wasn't worth two cents, but it was. And a lot of the a lot of the extras you'd find on laser discs, even with the Criterion stuff. Oh uh, yeah. You you couldn't find on Criterion Blu-rays today. I mean, That's you couldn't exactly you could right. not find you could not find that Jack Lemmon commentary on Glengarry. Yeah. Um, that that was on that laser disc. A lot of the extras that were on Criterion Citizen Kane, which included yeah, true. interviews interviews with like 50 people, including Burt Reynolds, uh, you couldn't find those on the Blu-ray incarnation. Criterion released Taxi Driver and uh, like Last Tango in Paris or something on Laserdisc, mm-hmm. but never right. never on Blue. You know, so there was good stuff on Laser. Yeah, uh, absolutely. There was uh, one of my favorite things. That I had on Laserdisc and I sold it and thought I thought ah for sure they'll put this out was the day after which is coming out on Blu-ray but it had an audio commentary by uh, Nicholas Meyer who directed it and that commentary is not getting ported over on the Blu-ray and I really it was a really good commentary about the production of that movie and you know its landmark place in television history and all that and ah like you said there are things like that that you know never made it over unfortunately so. I was kind of short-sighted, well, there, I guess. There, somebody, I did make mention of that Glengarry commentary years ago, and somebody sent me a link to it. Like I think someone I did, had recorded actually. it. Oh, you did. <laughs> it was, okay. It, it was somebody. Me, yeah. And I it's such great it. commentary from Lemon because you know that this is this is in, inside actor stuff. This is inside actor's baseball. And yeah. He's drinking, a, he's drinking a milkshake during it. Oh, yeah. and, and there, there was a great commentary with Oliver Stone. Uh, doing a commentary for Platoon, and uh, he was he was drinking during it, like it was painful oh, for him yeah. to watch it. I remember that commentary too. Yeah, it was incredible. That's right. Yeah, and there was wasn't there, I think there was a commentary on uh, Armageddon on the Criterion where uh, where Great. Bruce Willis was kind of crapping on the movie. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, yeah. Ben, ben Affleck and uh, Ben Affleck That's is what it was. especially funny. And that commentary. Yeah. Uh, that's a good commentary. <laughs> yeah, kind of funny. But anyway, we'll move on to July 10th real fast. Uh, Bull Durham is getting a Criterion release. Speaking of Criterion, it's hard to believe this This has not been issued by Criterion before. You would think it'd be ripe for the plucking, but it finally made it. So, mm. nice new extras, nice transfer, and mm. all that stuff. So if you're By the way, somebody on Facebook, we mentioned Ron Shelton months ago, and somebody on Facebook came back to us and said, I'm a Ron Shelton completist, because we had made a <laughs> joke. <laughs> well, I'm glad I brought so just it keep up, that too. in mind. Anything we belittle a joke about, there's somebody out there that actually takes that stuff seriously. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Well, don't be offended. I'm, I'm going to give you the little, <laughs> if I say something, please don't take it to heart. <laughs> But uh, anyway, well, um, Chappaquiddick is making its way to Blu-ray. Don't know if anybody's yeah. interested in that, but yeah, whatever, it's there. That was okay. Uh, it was yeah, all right. I, was okay. I liked it. Was it. Fine. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, it was fine. Uh, Dragon Inn from 1967 is another Criterion uh, release. It's um, directed by King Hu. 
<laughs> King Who? <laughs> King Who? <laughs> and starring Chun Chi. But um, it's a uh, one of those sword and sorcery type films. Oh, forget it. You know, um, I'm not familiar <laughs> with it, but uh, just in case anybody is. So Warner Archives has issued Billy Bud, directed by Peter Ustinov, and that's generally well regarded. It stars, of course, Peter Ustinov. Uh, Peter Ustinov is in it. Robert Ryan, Melvin Douglas, and one of the early appearances of Terrence Stamp. Also, David McCallum. Uh, Terrence Stamp was nominated for an Oscar for it. Yes, he was. Based on a novel by Herman Melville and shot in glorious cinemascope in black and white. I know that's your thing, Dean. You love the black and white cinemascope. So. black and white. Crazy. Yeah, so. <laughs> is, is that the – which movie do they use for the limey, the flashbacks? That's uh, Poor Cow. That's Poor Cow, yes. The uh, the, the Ken Loach uh, yeah. film Ken from 67, yeah. Yeah, that's there's a there's movie. a good there's a good trivia question, Dean. That is good. And I see that's the problem with games with doing a game show. You can't have a normal conversation without thinking, oh, would that make a good trivia question? <laughs> like when you're yeah. in that zone. This is true. <laughs> it's true. Everything everything becomes grist for the mill. Yeah. Which true. leads to another question: Why have they never released Poor Cow on Blu-ray or DVD? It's not available. It's, I'd love to see it. I'm, I love Ken Loach. So. I bet it's a music rights issue. It could be. I don't know, but Ken Loach movies are hard to find. Generally speaking, on like Lady Bird, Lady Bird was never given a D. I think that's one of the great movies of the '90s that nobody talks about. But anyway, I digress. So. Uh, casual Sex from 1988. <laughs> Thompson. Leah Thompson. <laughs> Leah Thompson, yes. So, yeah, this is written by Judy Toll and Wendy Goldman and directed by Jean Vier Robert. Leah Thompson, Victoria Jackson, right? Andrew Dice Clay. Oh, wow. <laughs> I forgot it's Victoria Jackson. Yeah. That's an 80s artifact right there. It <laughs> sure is. So, yeah. And the 1938 Adventures of Tom Sawyer, produced by David O. Selznick. That's a Kino release. Which is the best version of Tom yeah. the film version of Tom Sawyer is out yeah. there. Yeah. I do believe so. Yeah. And uh, another Kino release, John Barrymore and Catherine Hepburn in A Bill of Divorcement from 1938. I've never seen that one. I haven't either. Uh, and then a couple more Kinos, and this is. Speaking of the Touchstone Library, I think this is a Touchstone film, I believe. One Good Cop, Michael Keaton. That that film Ooh, he made yeah. directly oh, after so, Batman. So terrible. <laughs> uh, it's bad. Unwatchable. Yeah. Unwatchable. Yeah, he was riding high on have the they Batman. Come out, have, they come out with a, have they come out with a super yet on Blu-ray? Or has everyone forgotten that <laughs> Joe Pesci movie? Super. I don't I remember that. Forgot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't forgotten it. I remember it well, but it is it has not been issued on Blu-ray. It is out there on DVD, but and and how about, the, how about the squeeze? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, that's squeeze. bad. That uh, was, that was really bad. That was filmed at um uh that was partially filmed at my NYU dorm. Really? Uh, yeah. Ooh. Uh a late night shoot uh at the dorm, so we got to see uh, Michael Keaton go in and out of the door to yeah. our New York right. dorm. It's fun. Yeah, well, 
speaking of those movies from that time period, how about Firebirds with Nicolas Cage and Tommy Lee Jones and <laughs> Sean Young? It's another Kino release. <laughs> wow, they are scraping. Yeah. Well, this is this is one of the. I said it was fifty-fifty. Well, this is one half of that fifty. I'll let you determine which half it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, um, and while we're on it, in the early nineties, let's go with this one. How about Cop and a Half? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. This is a Cop and a Half sequel. Sorry, New Recruit. Oh, the, the, Lou the, Diamond it's the one with it's the one with Lou Diamond Phillips. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Oh, geez. I thought it was the original. Sorry. Uh, Yeah, it's actually a sequel with Lou Diamond. God, I remember, man, I I pissed off some people because I had an interview set up Uh with Lou Diamond Phillips and Bill Duke. And uh, it's on a Saturday afternoon. And my father just had a stroke a couple hours before the interview, so I had to cancel the interview. And they were not understanding Mm. I was like, dude, I'm at the hospital. I'm walking up to the hospital right now. I'm sorry if I inconvenienced. Yeah. At, uh, Luke Diamond Phillips. Alabama, <laughs> <Bamba>, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's brutal. Well, for anybody who's a big Friday the 13th fan, how about To Hell and Back, oh, the yeah. Kane Hodder story? <laughs> it's a documentary on Kane Hodder who played, uh, he was a stuntman turned um, uh, actor who played. Uh, Jason in most of those Friday the Thirteenth films. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah. That might be well, fun. That might be fun. Yeah. I like Kane Hodder, and he and he yeah. uh, uh, and uh, incidentally he was another <laughs> he was another actor. I stood up for an interview. Oh. Uh, that that's so weird that you brought him up right after the story I just told. But uh, he has that's uh, he has a autobiography that's just out. So that was made in conjunction with that, I guess. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. We'll move along to July 17th. Uh, Isle, Isle of Dogs has made its way, Wes Anderson's latest. And uh, another criterion here is Sex, Lies, and Videotape, which is one of those other... Uh, that's another one that you were talking about, the Criterion Laserdiscs that never made... That, that's one that never made it to DVD, and it's the first time ever on the uh, the Blu-ray disc format for Criterion. So, yeah, it's... New sound restoration, uh, some new um, digital transfer created in 4K, and um, yeah. there's a lot of new extras here. Uh, I have an interesting remembrance of that. I, I was 19 when it came out, and I was dating this girl, and my tastes were not sophisticated in movies at that time. Well, it could be argued that they're still not sophisticated, but <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Um, but she, uh, you know, I, I, there was a lot I needed to learn, and she dragged me kicking and screaming to seeing Sex, Lies, and Videotape, and uh, <laughs> I quite enjoyed it. it. It actually opened up kind of a new gateway for me, and, and uh, it's like late 89 it was, and I... Uh, Did the girl open up a new gateway, though? No, she did not, <laughs> because I, I was just... Uh, I wouldn't give. Get, I was very clingy and didn't give her any breathing room. I'll be honest; it was my mistake. I was just st- stupid, basically. Uh, if I'd played my cards right, it could have worked out. But at least she opened up, open up a new, a whole new gateway. I, I, I film people having sex now without their knowledge. It's a uh, great, <laughs> not that kind, but <laughs> great new endeavor. No. I tried to rewatch that recently. I couldn't get through it. 
Really? Uh, maybe I just wasn't wasn't in the mood. But, mm. but I will say that's one of the that's one of the great books. Um, the and I still have that. You know, he released a screenplay after it came out in book form, but a lot of it is a diary of him filming that, like endeavoring mm-hmm. on that first on that first film, and it's got a lot of instructive things in it. Yeah. Yeah, I read that. It's been a long time. I mean, I'd like to read that again. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not my favorite of his movies. It's really not, but it just kind of opened my mind to a new world of, you know, cinema, basically, I guess. You know, I, the indie film thing was not really something on my radar up until I saw it. Uh, uh, on most, uh, to give you credit, not on most people's radar. I mean, Sex, yeah. Sex Lines was a, was, a, was a big groundbreaker. Yeah. I mean, it, it came, was. It came at, the usher, at the ushering of that era. Yeah, I was kind of a mainstream guy up until that point, and that that was a turning point for me. So I always think of that movie fondly in those on those terms, if nothing else. But Quick and the Dead, Sam Raimi's uh, film, has been issued on 4K. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, 4K. So, yeah, I believe I was surprised. I know that was a surprise that they would pick that one for 4K release, but they did. And uh, Billy Wilder's 1963 film, Irma LaDuce, probably his biggest box office uh, success, I would say. That one, uh, forgot that Bill Bixby was in that. Isn't that interesting? Mm. (laughs) He turns up in Irma LaDuce. He was just just starting out back then. He was really green. (laughs) 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 Oh, that was a good one, and very quick, too. Uh, Good. You're on your toes. Yeah, Jack Lemmon, Charlie McClain, of course, Lou Jacoby, the great Lou Jacoby. But, mm. yeah, if you're a, a Billy Wilder fan as I am, uh, that's that's a must. Not not my favorite of his films, but but certainly one I, uh, that's – I find what, incredibly what boring. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not what as good it? as some – What's that? I just find it called? Herman LaDuce. Yeah. It's, and that's uh, his biggest hit? I think so. I, I believe it was as far as the financial part of it. I mean, the grossing. Uh, because I think wow. it made the. It was one of his. It was in the top five for that year. I know that. For 63, it's one of the top five grossing films of, of its year. So, yeah, it made a lot of. Do Re Mi, which. I think because they put, uh, they put an adults only thing on it. Yeah. They said this is for adults only. Yeah. <clears throat> and that made everybody mm-hmm. come to the theater with hard-ons. <laughs> <laughs> Literally and figuratively. Uh, they, you know, the following year he tried that again with uh, Kiss Me Stupid, but that didn't quite work out for him. Although I think Kiss Me Stupid is much funnier. Uh, that's, I a, lo- that's a good movie. Yes, I love it. It's so, so good. So... Wide screen, it, black and white. There you go. He yes. was kind of the king of the wide screen, black and white movie. Yeah, he had that working relationship with Joseph Lachelle, who was yeah. the cinematographer on so many of those, and he was really good at that. They could shoot inside of a soundstage in in widescreen, in black and white, and it would you. It was hard to tell that it was a soundstage. They had some way of. It was very well done. I thought always. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean, Paul Newman, mm. John Milius wrote this one and directed by John Huston, of course. And I don't know, this one's kind of, eh, yeah. I'd like to say it's a great film and it's 
it's okay, but you want to like it more than, than yeah. You know, you want you really want to like it, but you can't really say you love it, even though we love those people behind the camera. So, and the actors, uh, the I, cast, I mean, is terrific. Got a really big oh, cast. Really? Mm. I, I, I have like, I have a T vote. I ju- I just T voted. I haven't watched it yet because it was it on feels like a, uh, It feels like an Altman movie almost. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does, and that cast is amazing. With Tab Hunter, who ju- we just lost, of course, Paul Newman, Jacqueline Bissett, uh, and Victoria Principal. That's what's funny. She turns up in this. <laughs> and Anthony Perkins, Stacy Keach, uh, Anthony wow. Derby, Ava Gardner. I mean, what? wow, what more do you need? So the associate, Whoopi Goldberg. There's another uh, one of Kino movies that turns up from Touchstone, right? <laughs> So is their mission to to release the worst movies ever made? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? So <laughs> she was on a roll there with what the telephone and uh, oh my god, <laughs> what was the, yeah I know oh, there's so what many. What was the one with the with the dinosaur? Oh yeah, we talk about that one all the time. T Rex. T Rex. There you go. That's a good one. It's like a running joke. What was the one? With, what was the one? With the basketball. Does that have to do? Is that the associate? There's one. That yeah, that's a bad one too. What, that was filmed in my area too. I can't think of the name of it. It was like. Uh, God, I think that's when she first one? met Frank Langella on that basketball thing. Yeah. Because they, 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 they shot started it right a romance. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, but, and you think Whoopi Goldberg and Frank Langella? That. That's as much chemistry as there was between Frost and Nixon, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Fireworks there. Yeah, what was that basketball movie? It's on the tip of my tongue, but I can't think of the name of it. Jeez, I... I can't either. uh, Is it Ed? Eddie, that's it, Eddie. Eddie, Eddie. you got it. Eddie, 96. Yeah, that's when it came out. So anyway, yeah... Well, anyway, we'll get into the Twilight Time. We were talking about those. We teased a little earlier about those, so we got some Twilight Time titles. And uh, like I said, one of these is one of my all-time favorite films of the early 70s. I adore this movie and uh, would love to talk to its director for the 45th anniversary of it because it's 45 years old. But uh, And I was... I was told that he's on Facebook, and I should reach out to him by some of our mutual friends. They actually told me I should, so maybe I should. But anyway, we're talking about Cinderella Liberty, directed by Mark Rydell and starring Marsha Mason and James Caan. James Caan, fresh off of The Godfather, of course. This was at a time when he could have picked any project he wanted. This is the one he chose, which is based on the novel by Daryl Ponixon, who... The same year, also, his novel, The Last Detail, was made into a film. And so The Last Detail is kind of the movie that everybody remembers from that time. And, of course, Ponixon is still around in his 80s. Uh, he just did the what the quasi-sequel to Last Detail last year. But this was uh, this is a terrific movie. Uh, there are some, some mo- really, really emotional moments that have stayed with me for years. And uh, it's, you know, it's basically... James Conn is a sailor who falls in love with the with the hooker with a troubled past, and she has an illegitimate son, and he finds himself becoming emotionally attached to the son, and and uh, he wants to marry her and, and legitimize, give them a legitimate family situation, but you know, with 
with her lifestyle, that's just a little bit tough to, for him. It's, she's a little bit too much for him to rein in. And uh, anyway, don't want to say too much about what happens, but it is just a really beautifully done film shot uh, by the great Vilmos Sigmon and featuring a terrific score by John Williams and lyrics, song lyrics by Paul Williams. So this is the the Paul Williams John Williams collaboration. So uh, it's it's just a really really terrific movie and uh i i highly recommend it so cinderella liberty yeah that i like was, that movie too my pick of the month <laughs> if i had to pick of the month. oh good you should so, you should reach out to rydell he's got, uh, <laughs> yeah. i'm sure i'm sure he's got tons of stories he's worked with so many people over the years <laughs> well you both can as an actor and a director well, you can cut this out if you want to, but it's funny who who told me to reach out to him was Frank Santo Padre from uh, Gilbert's podcast. Oh, <laughs> oh wow! He's the one. He's the one that told me to reach out to him. He sent me a, a little quick blurb, and he said, "You know, Rydell's on FB. Reach out to him." <laughs> I said, "Oh, okay." <laughs> Is he? Uh, did he do their show? No, he hasn't. And I wrote back to him. I said he should. Do, I said you guys should have him on too because I said it would be great. But uh, but I I I tried. I was having trouble locating him on there. But maybe I'm looking. Maybe I need to do a little bit more homework for it. But anyway, I'll try, I'll yeah, try I, to find you his 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 manager or whatever. Oh, that'd be great. Out. Yeah, because yeah, he's he's made some really good movies. And I, I mean, I'd like to talk to him ostensibly about Cinderella Liberty. But you know, there's other stuff we can cover too. Uh, oh yeah. other movies. I just rewatched the just, Cowboys. Yes. recently. I think that's his best movie. Yeah, that's yeah. really just good. Do an, just do an hour on For the Boys. That's that's all you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and Hollywood Ending with uh, Woody Allen. <laughs> He's in that room. I like Hollywood Ending. And I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I like that movie's that decent. Movie. Yeah. It's not bad. That it's movie's right. funny. Yeah, all that physical stuff. stuff is really funny. Yeah, yeah. I agree. <laughs> So anyway, all right, other Twilight Times, very quickly. Jane Russell, Richard Egan, and the Revolt of Mamie Stover from 1956. Wow, I don't know that title. Raoul Walsh, who directed High Sierra. And and, uh, screenwriter Sidney Boehm, who wrote The Big Heat. And um, like I said, this also has Agnes Moorhead. That may be enough reason right there to watch it. Eddie Firestone. (laughs) Anyway, it's... uh, I'm always in the market for Moorhead. There you go. <laughs> of course. Anyway, I really need to get like a rim shot sound effect on, on this yes, show. You do. Yeah. Absolutely. 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 Yes. No show needs one more than this one. Oh yeah. <laughs> Probably. Well here here's here's uh the nineteen sixty five film Genghis Khan. Uh, oh. starring Stephen Boyd. This is the same year that he did the infamous film The Oscar. Yeah, <laughs> always comes up in in circles as one of the the great bad movies, I guess you would say. Yeah, this isn't the one with John Wayne, is it? No, no, it's no. That Boyd. was that was the Conqueror, the it, one yeah. where everybody got cancer on it. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's unfortunately. Yeah, well, this is the one as Stephen Boyd and James Mason and Eli Wallach and Francois. Dorliak and Telly Savalas and Robert Morley and Omar Sharif as Genghis Khan. Probably done in Italy. Yeah. 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 It's Omar Sharif as Genghis Khan. You can imagine that. So, anyway. But, uh, it, yeah. Hey, here's another question. Here's another question for you. 
Yeah. Uh, it's hard to phrase because it's not the opening shot. But there's there's like a credits, pre-credit sequence in this movie. And then when the movie begins in earnest, it begins with a shot of a velvet painting of Telly Savalas. Hmm. Do you know what that movie is? I don't. Star 80? <laughs> That's what it is, yeah. Wow. It's Star 80. That's what it is. <laughs> is it really? Great. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been a good trivia question there. That is good, yeah. Why did I not remember that? Oh, wow. So, The Children of Hong Shi, that's directed by Roger Spottiswood from 2008. That's the other Twilight Time release. Okay, that's one I don't know. Yeah, didn't... I got to tell tell you about Spottiswood, man. Wasn't Spottiswood... How did he work with Peckinpah? Was he... um, what what was he to Peck and Paw like on a movie like I rewatched The Getaway the other day. One was he the editor? Edit, was, was he editor or assistant director? I can't. I think I think it was assistant editor or something because when I That's I mean it. that movie, especially the opening of that movie, it, the editing is just off the chain, man. Yeah. The the editing that kind of kind of transmits what his prison experience was like and why he had to get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beautifully edited opening of that movie. It really was. Yeah. And I rewatched the Thomas Crown Affair, the Jewish one. I was like, oh my god, this movie is so incredibly dated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so like, ugh. Like all the effects they go for. It, uh, I agree. I don't know. I, I still like it, but I, I can't argue with that. It is very dated, but I don't know. I just. Uh, I love that Michael Legrand score, and I just. Uh, I don't know. Spottiswood was the editor on Straw Dogs, I Pat so. Garrett and Billy the Kid, and Hard Times and The Gambler. Okay. Those are not yeah. pecking paws, but. Yeah. Well, he's in the credits of he's in the credits of the Getaway. Uh, uh, so, uh, but that that because I did recognize his name, but that opening is just magnificent. Well, with the Thomas Crown Affair, I mean, I like the remake much better. And part of it is because the remake will never go out of style because they went with classic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which stays. But, you know, Thomas Crown Affair, it's dated like this, uh, a few years after movie. it comes out. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I can't argue with that. It's That's very true. Well, we'll move on to July 24th with a couple of... Uh, couple of John Carpenter titles that uh, Scream Factory has basically gotten their hands on all the John Carpenter stuff, and they're releasing the last of them. One of them is In the Mouth of Madness with Sam Neill, and uh, from 1996, was it, I think? Have you revisited that, Adam? I did, yeah. I I had the same experience I did the first time, which is... uh, It's such a bore. I think the first half of it kind of works. There are a couple of good jump scares, but it kind of it just gets more convoluted and crazy as it goes yeah. on, and it just it just kind of unravels during the last half. But I think the first half of it is fairly effective. I I gave up on it forty five minutes in. Yeah, I, I like I said, there's a couple things that I thought were effective, and it's uh I can't really say it's a, it's a solid home run for sure, but you know it's it's. It's uh, it's better than some of the later things he did. Let's just put it that way. 
And then there's the uh, uh, memoirs of an invisible man with Chevy Chase. <laughs> so I don't know what we want to say about this. I mean, that does have some great effects. I will say that I love it when um, when he's smoking a cigarette and you see his lungs fill up with smoke. <laughs> that's uh, that's yeah. pretty, pretty neat, but. Sam Neill's in that one too, if you remember. So it was another Sam Neill Carpenter collaboration, but it's definitely not a good movie, uh, other than the effects. And director of photography on that was William Fraker for our for people who Wow. <laughs> yeah, believe it or not. But uh yeah, that doesn't quite work. Definitely uh, you know, Carpenter should have stayed with within that horror genre, but when when he tried to step out it usually didn't work too well, with the exception of Starman. So, yeah, yeah. But anyway. yeah. I mean, yeah. He just. I think those horror guys were. They were told, "Hey, do a movie a year." I mean, you got. Uh, you're popular. Do a movie a year, and they just chose whatever was convenient. Yeah, instead I think of really you're right. taking time, taking time to. How can we make each one special? You know. I, yeah. William Fraker was a hell of a nice guy. He was a he was a, genuine, person. He seemed to be when we talked to him. Yeah, I remember that. It was a great interview too. It was good. Yeah, sorry. He's telling gone. us about bullet. He's telling us about bullet shooting bullet, and and he said something so great about Rosemary's Baby that I think is such a so valuable, and it clues you into why, like the masters of suspense, are are masters. There's the scene of Ruth Gordon in the bedroom. I think it's Ruth Gordon. And she's on the phone, like it's kind of a conspiratorial phone call, and Mia Farrow is in the hallway kind of listening in and trying to look in. And he framed it so that Ruth Gordon's face, her whole figure when she's sitting on the edge of the bed talking on the phone, is cut in half. So half of her is obscured. And and while they're shooting it, they're like, Roman, what are you doing? You can't see her. And he knew that when that scene played in the movie theater, the entire audience would kind of lean over or try to see the rest of her, like it used mm-hmm. it. It was audience participation, it was, you know, mm-hmm. and and it underlined that it was not a phone call that she was supposed to be privy to. Mm-hmm. Very good. That's a great lesson. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, he was one of the masters. Didn't he shoot Exorcist too? I believe, which I think is one of the the best looking terrible movies that I know of. It is. <laughs> I, it is. Pre, it is pretty stunning looking. It really is. Yeah, it's, it's so wacky. It, I tell people that all the time. I say that it's a terrible movie, but it's an incredibly good looking movie. It's 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 the best and the worst at the same time. So it's, yeah, it's amazing. So. Um, and there's one other Carpenter release, although this one doesn't come out until the first week in August, but since I've already gotten a review copy, I'll just go ahead and throw it in there. His, uh, his uh, Someone's Watching Me, starring Lauren Hutton and Adrian Barbeau and Charles Cyphers. That's, uh, it was actually made for television, and I think it aired a month after Halloween was released. So, uh, And it has um, some, some new interviews with Adrian Barbeau and, and Charles Cyphers and new commentary with Amanda Reyes, who did the uh, book on TV movies that came out last year that I would recommend, a, a TV movie compendium from 64 to 99. That's a good TV movie book that she did. So anyway, um, it's good um, good stuff there. So anyway, uh, we'll move on to Criterion with A Matter of Life and Death. Uh, 
Uh, that's one of the great movies of all time. Powell and Pressburger. Yeah, last which year. a lot of people might have seen the title Stairway to Heaven, which is what it was titled in the U.S. Mm-hmm. That's the U.K. title. Um, but that's what it's known as these days. Uh, wow, what a great movie. Yeah, this uh, this is a new digital restoration supervised by Grover Crisp. It's created in 4K at Sony Pictures. And uh, the original 35mm 3-strip Technicolor negatives were scanned at Cineric in New York, uh, which is interesting because the consultant was Thelma Schoonmacher, who's the editor for uh, Scorsese stuff, and she was married to Michael yeah. Powell, as we know, at one point. So she would know, uh, I guess, what he would probably be happy with. So anyway, mm-hmm. I'm glad they brought her in to supervise the project. So. I just wanted to, to vouch for that. Nice new extras and all that. So for for fans of Matter of Life and Death, there you go. And Warner Archives again with Supergirl. <laughs> mm. <laughs> the, uh, you know that you know that Warner uh, Warner Archive actually tweeted something uh, about that release last week, and I I corrected them on it. Really? And and my correction was wrong. So I quickly Ooh. deleted it. <laughs> so Ooh, wow. they said they they said uh, uh, they said here's a behind the scenes shot of Helen Hunt and Supergirl, and I was like, it's not Helen Hunt, it's Helen Shaver. And then mm. I thought I said, no, it's Helen Slater. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. my correction was wrong. <laughs> too oh, too many Helens out there. Yeah. 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 There were there were a batch of them at one once upon a time, but yeah, this. Uh, what a cast, right? Peter O'Toole, Mia Farrow, Brenda Vaccaro, Mark McClure. Faye Dunaway. Dunaway. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they they give us two different cuts of this, uh, the international cut, which is supposedly better than the one that ran in theaters back in the day because uh, the the story goes that they chopped a whole bunch of, of it, uh, footage out of it, and it really didn't make a lot of sense. And So this, this makes it a little bit better. Better and then there's a director's cut that was uh, I think I want to say Anchor Bay put that out back in the 90s and um, <coughs> anyway it was it's in SD because they couldn't find a master for that but on a separate mm. disc but um, anyway and then there's um, would you take Supergirl or Superman three <laughs> probably uh well you know i have to say i never actually saw supergirl so i'm waiting on my review copy to get here and i could give a opinion on that maybe in a week or so but i've never actually seen it i just heard bad things about it i was kind of scared but i think i should probably investigate so i don't know can't give you an honest opinion on that one i gave up on the whole series <laughs> after after two yeah yeah all right well, well listeners out there if you're if you are listening Email us your preference, Supergirl you or go. Superman 3. Yeah, that's that's a good one. See, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the Polanski thing. I'm, I'm, I'm invoking audience participation. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. So, yeah, Village of the Damned is another Warner Archive. That's Which the version? 19, yeah, the 1960 version. Oh, the good one. Okay. Yeah, so that's being released... And a couple other things here. Beyond the Reanimator is uh, coming out. Uh, that's been released before, but it's one of those uh, Vestron 
collector's series things that they're doing now. Uh, the 1986 film Wind Rider, which I'm not really familiar with, but it's on that MVP label. Uh, I Walk Alone, Burt Lancaster and Elizabeth Scott from 1948. Mm-hmm. Tiger by the Tail from 1970 with uh, Christopher George, Tippi Hedren, and Dean Jagger, and also featuring Charo. That's a Kino <laughs> release. <laughs> and um, so that takes care of, I think, um, oh, and there is a Grease 3 movie collection on Blu-ray where uh, Grease 2 was only available as part of the package, uh, the the box set, that collector's box, but now you can get it on uh, a single disc with uh, Grease and the Grease sing-along, so, or the, I'm sorry, the Grease TV movie, so. Uh, for anybody who's a big fan of Grease 2, and I know there are fans, there Ooh. you go. So moving on to the uh, the last day, July 31st, coming up uh, here in just a couple of days, we've got Piranha 2, The Spawning, the first film Ooh. for James Cameron <laughs> from Scream Factory. And, uh, starring Lance Hendricks. I want, that, I, want that, uh, I want that soundtrack, man. Yeah, soundtrack will cost me a hundred dollars. Really expensive soundtrack. Yeah, Steve Powder was the composer on that. Wow. Yeah, these are this is where the fish fly and attack people. So. <laughs> mm. So yeah. Steve, like uh, I thought you said these were fifty-fifty. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm getting I'm getting eighty twenty. <laughs> well. <laughs> Well, this next one might uh, up the ante, uh, taking care of business with James Mason and Charles Groton. <laughs> mm, no. No, they're the keynote. <laughs> James Mason sarcastic, in that? Of course. What's that? James Mason was in that? Uh, Charles Groton, Charles Groton. And uh, Stephen Elliott, Hector Elizondo. Oh, okay. And this is, I uh, thought you said James Mason and Charles Groton. Uh, Jim Belushi. Jim Belushi. Maybe I did say Oh, James. oh okay. I meant so James. Close. So close. James Belushi. James, <laughs> Jim Belushi. I probably did say James Mason. Knowing me, I was looking at something else and probably... No, far from it. Anyway, and the 1969 film Pendulum with George Pappard and Gene Seberg and Richard Kiley. That's coming out from, from Sony. I think that's one of, their direct, one of those that... Uh, on-demand titles that you order it and it's pressed and sent out on demand. They've been doing that with some of their older titles. And we've got one from Vinegar Syndrome called Liquid Assets from, oh, 1975, I believe it is. So, 1982, I'm sorry. Not really familiar with this one, but anyway, you know, Vinegar Syndrome does a lot of those Crown International releases, so I'm sure this is this is one of them. And then... Uh, here, here's something that came out earlier this year that, in case you missed it, you might want to check it out. Is Tully? With, mm. uh, that was, I did watch that. Yeah. What, uh, what was man, your takeaway? Man, Char- Char- Charlize Theron is so good in that movie. She is. She's really good. Uh, I, yeah. I didn't like. Uh, I, I liked so much of it. Speaking of eighty twenty, that's probably per- the percentage of it I really liked. Um, uh-huh. I I didn't like some of the events towards the end. Like I didn't I didn't understand why they had. I mean, I had such goodwill towards the movie mm-hmm. that when it starts to go in a different direction, I I, I kind of resented it because I was like, oh, why are you breaking the goodwill here? And then it 
kind of rebounds at the end. But there are some events towards the end where I was like, I don't see why this is necessary. But overall, I really liked it. Yeah, I did too. I felt the same way. That twist at the end was a little, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, but overall, good. And we'll 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 end on this note. Uh, speaking of James Belushi earlier, here's one more. James Belushi and Michael Caine in Mr. Destiny, uh, following on the heels uh, maybe of it's the same, the same calendar year of taking care of business. So he was on a roll there, James Belushi. <laughs> yep, there you go. So anyway, that covers July, I believe, as far as the Blu-rays, and uh, got them all taken care of there. Okay. All right. Yep. Exciting. So yep. how do you guys feel about the uh, seeing the Hollywood Boulevard refurbished last oh, week? Oh, that's so exciting. Uh, I just wish I was there to see it in person. That's what yeah. I don't understand. There are literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people on that street. Like, how can you get anything done? I know. I, I don't I know. I, I, I just, it just must feel like such a feat. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they shot a lot, uh, apparently, in different sections of the movie because there are costume changes on that on Hollywood Boulevard and everything. So this, this mm-hmm. isn't just one scene in the movie. It's several. And then they went down to Grauman's Chinese Theater, and then they went to an Italian restaurant and made it look like a movie premiere uh, where the press is talking to people on the red carpet. Yeah. Uh, so they're they're all they're all over the place up there. They're yeah, also they're also filming. Uh, aren't they filming the new Eddie Murphy movie? Uh, Dolomite. About, yeah. About Dolomite. <laughs> or Rudy Ray Dol- Moore. Yeah. Dolomite is my name. Yeah. Is what it's called. And uh, maybe. They're uh, they're converting a lot of L.A. to 70s era. It could uh, be. Looks, so. I did hear, it was pretty amazing to me, I heard the guy who ru- currently runs the Larry Edmonds bookshop, which has been there, you know, 80 years, I think, now. And he's, he's been there, I don't know, 20 years or something uh, operating it, but it was at a previous location in the late 60s. And he said he never had the privilege to, you know, work at the store when it was at the previous location. And they recreated the Larry Edmonds bookstore where it used to be. And so he was actually, I think he's got a small part in in the movie. He said it's It's surreal. It's a great little store. It's a great little store. Have Have you been in that, Adam? I never have. I, I'm well aware of it, but I just I never could seem to get to it when I was out there. It, just, it seemed like I just ran out of time. It would be on my list, and I just never. But next time, for sure. But I know well, it's odd because folks. because it's the the old location that they recreated is literally right across the street from where it is now. So yeah. So Brian, who filmed a lot of the stuff from the Dearly Departed tours, he was actually in the Larry Edmond store. And then he turned his camera around, and there was the recreation right across the street. <laughs> so there's some things there's some things that are not era correct, because Peaches uh, was not there until like yes. 74, 75. Pussycat Club wasn't there until after the time frame of the movie either. I just think, I mean, these stores were, pro- were probably there, but they hadn't garnered those names yet. Mm-hmm. So, which are which are a lot more recognizable names than what was actually there. So, I think they went with what people would know. Like you put up Pussycat Club, and you pretty much 
you know what it is. Um, so it's not like to the letters authentic. There was so that's a rumor. fine. It's Tar- Tarantino world. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. And I did see a rumor last week that they were floating about that maybe this film was going to stretch into the the mid seventies. You know that the time period of the script <clears> might <throat> require them to actually have scenes from that. You know time period that they actually did exist and so that's a possibility well i, I think i think that, i think that popped up when that dolomite photo that dean was talking about started because everyone's first instinct was oh my, that must be once upon a time but they're like, well, that's 75 yeah so i think the thought was that maybe there would be an epilogue or something but then it yeah. became oh no, i see the, the eddie murphy movie instead yeah, yeah. it could be but yeah, can you imagine though growing up there and seeing these things as a child, and then they go away, and then suddenly you're seeing them again, like fifty years later, things that were there when you were a child. But but that would be a back. trip. That's surreal. That's like a dream, you know. It's yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. Well, plus with social media the way it is, where you know all these people are photographing things every day, it oh, does yeah. clue you into of what what a feat it is to transform. A block like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I kind of marveled at how they were able to do that. One of the busiest streets and in, in the, the, you know, one of the two busiest cities in America. Um, what a job that is to yeah. do that. True. Absolutely. Yeah, it's exciting. And uh, I just can't wait to see the movie. And I just wish I could see that out there in person. But alas, it's not going to happen, I don't think. And they filmed a whole week inside Musso and Frank's. So whatever that sequence is, it's major. And, and yeah. if, you, if you think of past Tarantino movies like the bar scene and Inglorious Bastards or something, that's the whole act onto itself. Mm. Yes. Uh, that might be what we're looking at inside Musso and Frank's. Mm. Yeah, I, n- I noticed they also transformed the, uh, the Cinerama Dome, and they had the uh, original artwork for Krakatoa East of Java. With uh, Maximilian Shell, that was the movie that was running in the background on the uh, on the marquee. So <laughs> I thought that was funny. Which you know, in- infamously, that's yeah. the film with the, the incorrect title because Krakatoa is technically west of Java. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting that they have. Uh, isn't the night they raided Minsky's? Isn't that a freaking film? Is it a freaking film? Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. And on then one you, of the and then you have. Yeah, that's in the big marquee at the Vogue Theater that's prominent in the yep. shots on Hollywood Boulevard. And then you have the candid pictures of Pacino in character, like standing below the marquee. Below the marquee of the movie made by the man who directed him and the movie he refuses to discuss. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. The yeah. Cur- it's 